You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. 14 career sacks. Do you remember who you brought down first as a rookie? I think it was Buck Pierce in Winnipeg. A lot of people got to him, I think. (laughs) Hey-oh. That doesn't make me feel any better. Well, (laughs) grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Travis Cura with Brazilian Tie. We have a special guest joining the show today, Michael Clausen, former Montreal Alouette, Calgary Stampeder, and Ottawa Red Black. We have a really fun chat on tap for you today. Ty, first, I got to ask you, how you feeling? Um, on a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10? Gary Busey. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> tie being allowed on the golf course again is not good. No, not at all. Uh, we shot a plus two on the weekend, which was good enough for fifth. So I didn't win anybody any money except for myself because I had the fourth place team. So I made sure we didn't catch them and I won 510 bucks <laughs> in the top cutter. You're going to get suspended from the golf course like Pete Rose is suspended from baseball. <laughs> no, it's fine. It was, it was all it was all legit. Okay, good, good, good. Allegedly. <laughs> I I can hear uh you you're you're just going to struggle through this. Um just Well, I've been I've been outside till at least 2 a.m. for the past 4 nights. Now I know you're pretty. Fire, so you're pretty fair. Um, how's oh, the sunburn God. situation? Because I had to wear pants yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I wore shorts on Saturday. Are you a nice little I, uh, medium rare? Oh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> nice little go- a nice little golf glove tan too. My left hand is much paler than my right. The Michael Jackson uh, tan, nice. Yeah, and a great ankle sock tan, too. <laughs> brutal. Oh, I love it. Before we get to our interview, just a couple news items I want to mention. If you have not read Ed Hervey's piece on on racism and the fatigue of it, CFL.ca, it, it got posted last Thursday. You want to check that out. It's It's a must-read. Also, last Thursday, the CFL, or Randy Ambrosi, releasing a statement on what's happening. And at recording time of this show, we still don't know what's happening. It's the same as two weeks ago. Um, but basically, the league and the players are communicating a little bit. That's that's all we know, right? Baby steps, I suppose. Yeah. But you got to... Figure we're getting to crunch time here. Mm-hmm. If we're starting Labor Day, I guess we'll say that's well, about nine weeks away. And if current rules state 
that American players, if they're somehow allowed to cross the border, they got to do a two-week quarantine. Now we're down to seven weeks. We don't know the rules. We don't know the exemptions. We don't know if there's going to be football with or without fans after Labor Day, but they're talking. And right now, like, yes, they're talking, but like you said, it's getting down to crunch time to the point where they're going to either need to say, okay, we're doing this, or yeah. you know what? We'll just wait for 2021 because it's going to be this. You're going to do the same thing that happened in basketball when they had their shortened season and your injuries exploded because they were just playing too many games right. in too little of time. These players are going to need time to get ready. Get uh, They're going to have to play some exhibition games, get some reps in. And like you said, with the quarantine, you're going to have to do a little bit of a training camp. Then you got to do your pre maybe a preseason game. I, I, two, I don't know. It all depends on timing. And then you get into it. Uh, and, yeah, we're not going to be playing. I don't think we're going to see a lot of those, you know, three games in 17 days. No. Like we have before. I don't think we see that. Uh, but, you know, trying to ramp up to the season – is, is what these guys need to kind of get back to speed because they, they should have been, you know, playing already. And, you know, they would have been training and everything, and, and it's been a little different now, so they're going to need that time to get back into game shape. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Straight from the CPA's Mouth, a new podcast series created by the CPA Education Foundation and funded by the Heshey CPA Knowledge Center. Alberta's chartered professional accountants, or CPAs, are experts in a wide range of topics and issues of interest to Albertans. Straight from the CPA's mouth has discussions on topics important to you, from leadership skills and achieving career potential to financial literacy and how to make your tax refund bigger. Whether you're a university student, a new Albertan, or a parent, you'll find something of value on this unique podcast. You'll find Straight from the CPA's mouth on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or on the CPA Education Foundation's website at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. That's cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. And uh, joining the show now is Michael Clausen, former CFLer, but now he runs Streets Beltline Kitchen in Calgary. Before we do a deep dive and really talk about food, we are sort of a CFL podcast, so we should stay maybe on brand for a minute or two. <laughs> How did you get your start in the game? Um, in the game of football? Yeah. Um, honestly, it all came about kind of randomly. Um I was at a private, a really small high school, and I happened to be really good friends with Tom Spolatini, who is son of the Tom Spolatini, uh, nephew of Tony Spolatini, who you probably are well-versed with, especially being in the Alberta-Saskatchewan football game. Yeah. Um, So, you know, he really wanted his son to play high school football, but he didn't want to have to move his son to another school, so he got together with the higher-ups at our school and decided to put a football program together and it just so happened to be that our first year playing football or our first year of our high school having a football team was our grade 10 year and I didn't want to play football I was a volleyball guy basketball guy you know I was tall lanky I did track I did cross country I did everything but wanted to play football but Tom Spolatini senior I call him I just call him senior Tom he begged me he pushed me he said you better come out to football (laughs) <laughs> and I did, and I hated every single second of it. 
almost three years. I hated football. I was like, man, this is bullcrap. Anyways, and then, uh, and then I don't know, someone convinced me to go to a North-South Bowl tryout or whatever that was called and did that. Didn't make the team, which was weird because I thought I was honestly one of the better players there. So this is my grade 12 year. And then uh, Blake Nill approached me at the end of Sunday's kind of practice there and just made me sign this piece of paper that said I had intent to go to the <laughs> University of Calgary. And then I didn't want to do that either. I still hated football. Wow. So, uh, and then it was kind of one of my dad's friends, actually. He had phoned me. He's a, He was an American guy. and He had played college ball. I don't know where. But he kind of, he you know, not sat me down, but we talked to the phone and he said, listen, Mike, you know, you don't like football or whatever. Just give it a try. Just give it one year and then, like, and then reevaluate the situation and see, you know, if you want to discontinue playing football. So I did. I went out, you know, I, re- I still remember my first summer practice before my rookie season started at the University of Calgary Dinos. And I was all of 195 pounds, you know, uh, yeah. six foot five, 195 pounds. And our strength coach, you know, I haven't even met any of the guys or whatever. There was very few rookies there. So, I, you know, very intimidating. I was small, skinny, still in high school. These guys were all third, fourth year guys, you know, these big giant football players. I was like, holy crap. So then uh, our position, or sorry, our strength coach, he starts divvying up the groups, you know, receivers over here. O-line over here, linebackers, DBs, and then D-line. And honestly, the whole team freaking laughed when I ran over <laughs> with the D-line group because they're like, who's this skinny little receiver, right? Like wide-out type body. Yeah. And I went over with the D-line and kind of got a couple chuckles. And Anyways, the first year just got beat up by a bunch of 25-year-old guys because back then there wasn't really rules on how old you could be, and I was still only 200 pounds. And that's very small yeah. on the defensive line, as most people who know anything about football, um, they know that. And uh, didn't play at all my first year. Obviously, I was just way undersized. And then it was kind of in that off season where I really became, you know, got in the weight room lots, was eating lots, put on some serious weight really quickly. Like, I was eating like 10,000 calories a day. I think I went from Whoa. 205 to 250 in like four months. <laughs> I could do that, but not no muscle. <laughs> yeah, and I was, you know, I wasn't eating the right things by any means. Like right, I was like a pound of bacon and a carton of eggs every morning. Wow, and that was on top of three weight gainer shakes that had <laughs> you know twelve hundred calories each, and then it was like lunch, snack, dinner, snack, shake, bed, shake. Snack. You know, it's just it was terrible. And then I look back at it now, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? But anyways. <laughs> Did that for a couple of years. I never even played till my third year, really, until I was like finally like big enough to be a defensive lineman, and I like actually kept most of my athleticism through doing that. And then third year came about, and wasn't really a starter, but lucky. Well, not lucky, but he was a good buddy of mine. But what our starting defensive end broke his arm in the, like the first game, I think it was, and then. Uh, then I got to start the rest of the season, had a really good season, and then still didn't get an invite to the East-West Bowl, which you, as most people know, is like a huge game for you know young college kids in their third year to really kind of put them ahead of the curve for their draft year the next year. 
which again I thought was bullcrap because I was one of the better ends. But it's just politics, man. Politics, and you know I was right. frustrated, or whatever. And then fourth year really kind of emerged um, out of my shell. We had a really good D line. Like it was me on one end and Lyndon Gaydosh on the other end. And most people remember Lyndon as being mm-hmm. the first overall draft pick, 2013, and going down to the NFL for a bit and all that stuff. And to be honest, I think I actually like statistically had a better year than him, but you know, he had four years of playing experience and I had one and a half. And then, uh, somehow that was actually the first year that, um, I don't know. Am I rambling too much? Do we need to quicken this oh, stuff up? Or what? I, I, can, I can let you go for half an hour. <laughs> oh, okay. But I mean, I, I, I'm wondering at what point did you start to like football? Because you get drafted as well in 2013. I mean, at that okay. point where you're like, okay, I, I like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess I forgot to mention. I think it was my first offseason with the Dinos that I was like, you know what? This is freaking awesome. Okay, like, yeah. You got put in a situation, you're a new guy on campus or whatever, and you have all these friends, you know, in high places or whatever. Like, you know, the guys all worked at the bars downtown. Here I was, 18 years old, and, like, you had this 24-year-old veteran O-lineman who would let you in because he was bouncing the door or whatever. And I think I fell in love with the camaraderie first. <laughs> the perks, the game, yeah. <laughs> especially in the dinos. And then it was, like, slowly... Um, came to love the game of football. But even then, I tell people, I was like, I don't know if I really loved the game of football or if I loved everything that football brought me in life, you know? Right. Like the relationships, the camaraderie, the events, getting to meet great people, getting to travel, like, the whole country. Before I started before I started the Dinos, I'd never been east of the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. Never wow. east of Lord Minister, let's put it that See? way. <laughs> Um, so I think I like those things, you know, more than I did actually like going and strapped on the pads and getting beat up for three hours straight, you know? Well, I mean, you turned it into a seven year career for something that you really didn't want to do when you first started. I mean, I don't know how much pressure there is on a high school football player, but that there might've been no pressure. You just kind of showed up and, well, I'll just do this. And if it works out, it works out <laughs> that's what it yeah, seems like it I happened yeah stubborn and had to prove that i could you know whatever i did i could become good at so and uh i think i did an all right job of that because i was always kind of the underdog you know like most people say oh i was the underdog i was the underdog and then that leads me off where i left off in my story which was like again fourth year had a great year didn't get invited yeah. to the national combine and I was like, you know what? This is freaking bullcrap. Like, I know I'm better than half these dudes that got invited. But you know who got invited were all the guys that played the East-West Bowl game the year before. And I was still like, you know, that guy, I was still the new guy on the block. So I didn't get invited the year before. But lucky for me, that was the first year of the regional combines. Right. And I don't even think that they had planned on inviting guys from the regional combine to the national combine. So I went up to Edmonton. There's like 80, 80, 90 guys, you know, and I'm running with DNs, but I was big because we ran a 30 front. So I was like 275 pounds. Um, but then just absolutely crushed it. I was killing all the guys that were 220 pounds, you know, in the 40 and the T test mm-hmm. and the L drill and the broad jump, everything. So me and Jermaine Gabriel were both at that combine. And out of the 80 guys that were there, 
we both got invited to the National Combine, which was like four days later in Toronto. So then, uh, you know, <laughs> hop on a plane, go to the National Combine, and uh, and then, um, you know, I kind of, I did all right there too, enough so that people actually started taking notice and ended up getting drafted. Actually, I think I was uh, sixth fastest out of everybody. You can check the stats on this for the for the uh, shuttle. Jeez. And I was at 275 pounds. So it was a wide yeah. receiver, a DB, a couple running backs that beat me. But nobody touched me on the shuttle or the L drill. So it was that Sunday day where we kind of did the agility and the speed stuff. I think that's what got me got me drafted. And, and then, uh, you know, a few months later, name got called on draft day, fourth round to the Alouettes. I never even knew... Never even met any of the coaches. Didn't know anything about the city, the team, whatever. And three weeks later, I was like, oh, that's another thing. I only burned two years eligibility playing Dinos football. Right, and yeah. I, most people know you have five years of eligibility. So I didn't even want to go to training camp. I went and talked to Coach Nell. I said, I'm coming back no matter what. Like, I feel like I haven't, like, really come into my own yet. You know, I want to have that big year where I'm the guy, you know, like – racking up stats mm-hmm. and doing all the things that, you know, Lyndon had the chance to do because he played four years, right? And I feel like if I did go back, I would have had one of those years. And Coach Nell there, he sat me down, he convinced me. He's like, well, you know, go to training camp. You'll get good experience. You know, it's only three weeks long. And then come back for the summer and play all your dino season. So I did that. I went out to training camp, even though I didn't want to, because I would have. I already had a summer job lined up and stuff. Oh wow! You know, gonna go work bartend downtown or something, and then I kind of listen to coach because I tend to listen to my coaches. Maybe that's why I got seven years right. Listen to your coaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went out to training camp and actually had a good training camp, and then they offered me a spot on the like active roster and I was like man I just killed myself for a month straight I don't have a job if I go back for the two months of summer you know you're so close to like playing real games and making real money and I just decided to stay and then the rest is history four years Montreal one in Calgary two in Ottawa body's broken retired and now we're here talking to you guys (laughs) now you've made it (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh 14 career sacks. Do you remember who, who you brought down first as a rookie? I think it was Buck Pierce in Winnipeg. Oh, a lot of people got to him, I think. <laughs> hey oh. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better. Well, <laughs> oh, I didn't really mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about you. Uh, you only suited up for the Stamps for the uh, the eight games there before going to Ottawa for a few years. You sound like you really weren't a football fan growing up but it must have been cool to suit up for the red and white in calgary right yeah it was you know what it was awesome like i was really excited when uh well i wasn't that excited so that year i had signed another contract another one-year deal to go out to montreal right and then uh cavis that was cavis reed's um first year as a gm and he kind of pulled a fast one on me and he just he released me the night before training camp started because he got one of the doctors to fail my medical. Whoa. Wait, Cavis Reed breaking the rules? No. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, like the doctor pulls me aside. He's like, 
because you were getting treatment all off season, we have reason to believe that you weren't ready to go. You're not ready to go. And I said, yeah, but I passed all your tests. My shoulder's good. Like, what do you need to see? I'll come out to camp. You don't have to pay me anything until I can prove to you that I'm playing. Like, the reason I'm getting treatment all off season is because I've played four years of football up at this point, and I'm training every, you know, I'm training every every day. Like yeah. anyone, like you would appreciate a massage every day. Oh yeah, you know? anybody would. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the injury. So anyway, so he got one of the doctors to fail my medical and send me. Like I was out there for all eight hours, I think, Montreal. And you know, this was kind of where I made a bit of a name for myself the last four years. So I was like down in the dumps. I was sad. I was like, what the heck. And now, obviously, all the other training camps are, you know, rosters are full. There's not going to be any space for me anywhere. Like, guys literally have 90 guys, you know, and the cut downs in a week or whatever. And so it's tough. And um, sitting on my couch, and I immediately, like, kind of phone my agent. You know, I'm talking to people I know, and I knew Taylor Attilio at that point. He was helping out with the special teams, the strength coach, and the staff. So I'm like, Yo, man, like, I just got released from Montreal. Like, talk to the boys over there, see if you can get me in there or whatever. I think he did or whatever, and then a couple days later, like, they did make me an offer. But it was kind of, you know, I think they just needed me kind of as a filler Mm. for the year. I don't know if they ever really saw me as a long-term fit, which was frustrating because, like, you know, I'm here I am signing with Calgary. I'm like, yeah, I'll finish, like, another three, four years of Calgary, like, build a name for myself so when I do something after football, it'll be awesome, right? And then I find out, like, the the only reason they kind of brought me in was to kind of, I think one of their draft picks who was a D-tackle, you know, he wasn't quite ready to go. So they're like, okay, Mike, maybe he can come in. But here's the kicker. I go into Calgary three days later after failing my medical in Montreal, and guess what? They know I failed my medical in Montreal, so they go in above and beyond, and then they pass my medical. So I answer Jeez. that, right? What a crazy, so, uh, <laughs> crazy situation. It's a crazy world, and people don't realize yeah. like, what actually like, goes on behind the scenes, and it's nice to actually kind of talk about some of the stuff now that I have no plans on returning, right? So, well, and I but, guess I should mention, when you're on the outside looking in and of all this stuff happening with the players on if there's a season going to happen because of the pandemic, it must yeah. be kind of nice to be out <laughs> right now oh i mean i was i was literally at the gym this morning and i still work out with a bunch of dinos guys and stuff when we're talking about this today i'm like man like april may rolls around like guys are starting to hurt for cash and now we're talking yeah. about like mid-june like you know guys are stressing and there's no you know nobody knows what's going to happen or if there's even going to be a season so guys might go seek jobs, seek careers, and then when it does happen, it's just like, hey, well, now I'm settled in a career or I have a decent job. Do I go back and risk, you know, maybe making 75 grand, beating myself up again? So this is going to change a lot of players' uh, future with the CFL, I think, this COVID stuff. Were you? Are you still pretty banged up? I mean, uh, seven years of pro football? Um. Yeah, I mean... I just got bad hips or whatever, and that's oh, like yeah. honestly, I think if I had decent hips that you know decent mobility and like I just got some impingement stuff and you know some arthritis and like I'll probably need a hip replacement within the next like half a decade, right? So it's just unfortunate, but I was also playing out of position for 
10 years. Like, I should have never put on that much weight to play D-tackle, you know. I probably should have stayed outside and, like, you know, I was playing at, like, 285, 290 pounds, and here I was, you know, a buck 90 natural body weight. You know, if you saw my dad when he was my age, he was a stick till he was, like, in his 30s, and here I was 195 pounds, putting on 100 pounds to play a position, right? But I was big, strong, athletic, don't get me wrong, but, you know, that takes a toll when you're pounding your self against another mm-hmm. 300 and some pound guy a hundred times a day <laughs> it's nice to hear the honest uh, reality because we don't really hear it all that all that often really and i mean uh you see a lot of offensive linemen once they retire it's like they lose you know 80 to 100 pounds well, overnight <laughs> look at joe thomas on the nfl yeah. network right now yeah like it's it's ridiculous how small he looks compared to what he was when he played Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've already lost 40 pounds wow. at 50 at one point, but, you know, COVID, this COVID body, you know, <laughs> I haven't been able to get in the gym last few months. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely under 250 pounds now and starting to feel better, you know, yeah. but I still got those little aches and pains, and I sometimes mm-hmm. wonder what I would feel like at 29 years old if I didn't play football. I think yeah. I feel 80 or 90% better than I do. But, right. you know what, no regrets. Um you know, it brought me a lot of opportunity. I made a little bit of money that allowed me to do a couple other things. And, you know, having six months off a year, boys, is yeah. freaking awesome. Yeah. I'm friends with teachers, and they get two months off, and I hate them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you talked about putting on the COVID-19 a little bit. Um, you had a pretty sick hairstyle last year. You had one of the best mullets in Canada I mean, oh, there, yeah. there there might be a few more now with some people not being able to get the haircuts uh, because of the lockdown. Why did you start growing this thing? Because you're you're uh, pretty follically blessed. Follically blessed. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Term, I, I just I like came it. up with it. Now. <laughs> oh, appreciate it. Um, I don't know. I just like. I didn't know if I was going to play football again after, you know, after oh, okay. didn't pick me back up in 17. And then when Ottawa gave me an opportunity, I'm like, you know what? No old bar. I'm going, I'm just going to be myself. I'm just, cool. I'm just going to have fun from here on out and, you know, stop taking this thing so seriously. And then guess what? All of a sudden I start growing this mullet and have the best year of my career start all well start 17 games you know they once we secured first place i kind of they let me take a week off there but and uh i don't know and then i just i said you know i'll, I'll let her buck until i either get married or quit playing football and they both kind of <laughs> happen at the same time yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> well you just started having fun and it's in your instagram bio Two Grey Cup uh, losses. <laughs> do, Two-time Grey Cup losers. Yeah. Do, do those <laughs> bug you at all? Um, the, honestly, I think the Calgary one bugs me more. In the snow, Ricky Ray. Because I was told that I was going to be playing in it. And oh. then kind of like week time, that week they made a decision that I would be down and they play the other guy because of the weather or whatever. I don't know what, you know. It's always excuses. Mm-hmm. You never know what the real reason is or whatever. And then you know, I had to watch us lose that one. And like, yeah. if you if 
if we play that game 99 times, I mean 100 times, Calgary wins 97 to 99 times out of 100. For sure. Like, we are that much better of a team, you know, I don't know. We just, the way we stacked up against Toronto, like, there's no way we're losing that game. Like, even me sitting on the sidelines or standing on the sidelines there, like, I remember distinctly going to the bathroom in the third quarter. And uh, at this point, we were still kicking, not kicking butt, but we were up by probably 10 points, right? Mm-hmm. And I go into the the locker room. There's already plastic all up in the lockers. And I'm like, holy oh, crap, boys. Like, half hour from now, we're going to be popping bottles, smoking <laughs> cigars, doing all the fun things, right? And then, uh, and then obviously what happened happened. We didn't win the game. And. And this was the second year in a row Calgary won, so I never even felt the first one. So now, mm. guys, like, it was depressing, man. It was like, yeah, what the heck, you know, it was terrible. And then uh, and then the next year, obviously, I end up in Ottawa to play Calgary, and I'm like, man, what a freaking story this would be if, like, they get rid of me, I go to Ottawa, you know, they're the better team, we kick their butts in the Grey Cup, and then... You know, we lost that one, but I think we were such a young team and guys, there's so many new guys on that team that haven't, like, played in a big game like that. I think we were just happy to be there more than, like, the disappointment of the loss, like I felt in Calgary. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't nearly as bad, you know, and people thought, oh, like, Mike's probably so sad, pissed off, whatever. But, you know, we had a fun night, and but, like, would I rather once 100%? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it wasn't. It didn't feel as bad because I think I got a start in it, and I yeah. get to say that you know I get to grow up and tell my grandkids that I played yeah. and started in a Grey Cup game. Cool, and not a lot of guys get to say that. Yeah, or would I have rather won in Calgary, standing on the sidelines? Right? I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. weird. It's a pride thing. So, so we talked about your childhood a little bit. We'll go to my childhood and. My mom, for years when I was in elementary school, worked at Joey's Only. No way. Yeah, and we don't have one anymore, but, you know, Tuesdays, all you can eat fish and chips, all you can eat shrimp. Like, it was it was unreal, and i just go there every day after school, and I would get fries and just sit there until mom was off work. Uh, your dad started Joey's Only, I believe. Yeah, he did. He's so, Joe. His name is Joe. <laughs> which is unreal. Food, food's kind of in your blood. Like it's, it's one of the things that you know you were brought up around. Uh, was it something you'd always had a passion for? I think, uh, yeah. Growing up, I think I was like we're a family of five, and I think I was kind of the one that would always help my parents, you know, cook and prepare meals. And just my dad, kind of, he's not like a Red Seal chef by any means, but you know, he knows how to cook a mean steak and lobster and do all the things with seafood that most people don't know how to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'd always help him. We call him the glory chef, though, because my mom would cook six days a week, and then we'd have people over on Saturday or Sunday night, and then my dad would all of a sudden be in there elbows deep. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Joey's such a good cook. He's always cooking all this stuff. But, you know, I'd always help him out, and then uh, kind of moving away on my own right away, Montreal, when I was 21 years old, you know, you got to fend for yourself right away. It wasn't making a lot of money. That was before the last, even the last CBA. So I think minimum was like in the $40,000 mark or whatever. And I had nothing in my name. So I just started cooking, started cooking. And and as you know, in the CFL, the four and a half rule, you know, we're done work by, you know, technically one thirty, but like more so like 
most guys get out of there around like two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't do anything. You don't know anybody but the football guys. So what do you do? You go and you prepare these amazing meals. You have nothing but time all night. You know, it's it's study the playbook, stretch out, and cook. Because most people who work a nine to five, they don't have three hours in their afternoon to like spend time cooking. So I think that's when it started was in CF in the CFL when I started like really experimenting with stuff and making these real elaborate meals and I've been doing it for the last seven years. And then uh about three years ago we helped I helped my dad rebrand, you know, one of his Joey's brands into what is now Streets and I've been helping write recipes. I've been doing all the marketing and stuff even in my off seasons with the football and he's kind of been itching like when are you going to be done with football like he's kind of wanted me to come full on full board for a while now and then uh he finally got his wish um this fall when i decided to retire and i think i came home from ottawa um first week in november and i think i was out doing inspections in restaurants 10 days later so i i started he didn't give me any time off (laughs) <laughs> and then uh and then yeah i don't know we've been uh the last two features we run at our store streets which we now have nine locations plus uh plus mine downtown here that i just opened up and i get to write all the recipes for it and we're having a lot of fun actually we are rebranding the joeys and putting out a new menu with joeys so oh. after i'm done talking to you i'm going straight back into the kitchen and we're going to be frying up some fish with a beer batter we got a bunch of different fries we're working on to an avocado. Do you, do you need taste here. testers? Like we could, we could get in the <laughs> vehicle do. and start driving. <laughs> this Come sounds awesome to me, man. I mean, you, you talked about the one downtown that you're running in Calgary now. Uh, it happened right when this pandemic hit. <laughs> uh, was that overwhelming, or are you just like, oh, I guess we just got to keep on trucking? So this one was kind of different we saw like this woman was selling her old hungarian restaurants right downtown like right in the scene of like all the late night clubs bars and all that stuff and uh, i saw it come up for sale in kijiji and i looked at my dad and i looked at this uh, one of my colleagues i said this is going to be the game changer right we've never put a a location or a a store in a location like this you know like this high traffic huge population density around it and stuff. I'm like, this is the game changer. This is the one that's going to put streets on the map. We're going to open a lot of stores, you know, once people come familiar with the brand. So February, this was mid-February, right? So we go put an offer on this place and, you know, negotiate a bit. And we took over the spot March 23rd. I think on March, 20, March 20th was the last day you could eat in restaurants. Yeah, I was like, holy crap, like this was terrible timing, but we decided to do all our rentals and stuff. So we got all our rentals done in like three weeks, opened April 10th, like right in the middle of (laughs) nobody going out. And the two reasons that we opened in the location like this was for the lunch crowd, corporate crowd, and the late night bar scene. And obviously none of those have happened for the last three months, Yeah, but... You know, we don't know what our potential is because slowly our sales are picking up and people are coming back to work and, you know, we're surviving. And that's that was our main goal. It's like, okay, let's survive this COVID stuff and then we'll see what we can do after that. And and we're starting to get quite a bit busier as people are going back to work and uh, 
I think we'll do big things down there, and we actually have already in the mix like plans on opening like three or four more more locations within a year. So wow, yeah, I'd love to know that you already mentioned it a little bit. The process of writing a menu or testing new items. Uh, do you do you draw inspiration? from anyone or anything or anywhere to kind of throw on a plate and put yourself out there that way it's it seems like quite the process you got it is it is but usually it's just like people throwing ideas back and forth like hey like we, on streets say we we roll out features every two months and you know you kind of pick a theme so you know say november december was uh you know a nan bread kind of taco okay. like a curry flavored chicken like it was amazing and then in january february we did a mississippi pulled pork it was really good mm. um so we did a pulled pork poutine you know a pulled pork taco and something else i forget and then it was like hey what are we doing next and i was like let's do a surf and turf thing but let's roll out two versions because well, i'm just trying to have fun with the whole thing so we did a, a poor man's surf and turf taco and a rich man's surf and turf taco <laughs> so the poor man's surf and turf taco was just like fried chicken and fried popcorn shrimp on a taco with you know your cabbage pickled carrots whatever yeah and then the rich man which was like five dollars more was like guacamole flank steak real cajun shrimp like yeah. a coleslaw like a horseradish like it's good so we just have fun with it, and now we're just we just launched our new features on Monday, and we did some bowls, um, and you know had some fun with the fun with the names. I came up with them. Uh, we have a Fokin noodle bowl. I love Fokin. it. <laughs> I, I wondered how we were going to approach that, but that's cool. <laughs> and then uh, a walk and roll rice bowl. So you know pork nice. belly spring rolls, kind of choice of protein, and it's just like having fun with it, and we kind of just come up with it you know we're really not leaving us a lot of lead time on these things but then our next feature i'm thinking about doing a, a back to school special cool i want to do like a deep fried pb and j whoa <laughs> maybe like a deep fried grilled cheese or or maybe a sloppy joe burrito or something like that right yeah so, whoever's listening if they have any uh ideas throw them my way I'd, i'm happy to listen to them i'm okay. always happy to listen to people i think that's one thing i'm good at is listening to other people's ideas and giving credit where credit's due because that's what it's all about, you know. Nobody's necessarily right or wrong, but it's a collaborative effort to come up with, like, something that's fun, cool, and that markets itself well, too, right? Because the cooler our features are or whether the names be funny, you know, that's what ends up, you know, mm -hmm. resonating with the customers and they come back, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, how do you rise above a, a chicken and waffle poutine? I, I saw that and I'm heading to Banff uh, next week and I think I might have to make a pit, pit stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's good. And some people are like, man, syrup on a poutine, that's disgusting. But like the sweetness and the yeah. savory and the salty, like it is so good. And we're actually, um, I want to do a chicken and waffle taco that I tested a couple of weeks ago. And literally, it's a piece of fried chicken, wrapped mm -hmm. in taco, little syrup, and whipped cream. And it was so good. Wow. So, like, you use the waffle as the taco shell, you know? So, I think this is how you've put on some weight during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 
Do you have any culinary inspirations? Like for me, when everything got locked down, I've been watching so much Good Eats and Alton Brown stuff from the last 20 years. I, I just can't get enough of it. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever checked out uh, Chef's Table on Netflix there? I have. Okay. Well, in the first season, they follow a guy around in, uh, I think, Peru or Argentina or whatever. His name's Francis Malman. And he cooks over the fire. Like, all he does is, like, cook wow. over, like, an open fire. Mm. He buries stuff in the ground. He does, like, he encases stuff with salt and builds a fire around it. Or he just, like, hangs, like, whole animals off of sticks. And let it slow cook around like a big fire in the middle, you know. And I really like cooking over a fire. Like even though I live in the city, I'll build a fire just so I can cook my steaks outside in cast iron, like right nice. down in the coals or on the wood and stuff. And I really enjoy that because you can cook it really low and slow, or you can cook it really hot and fast. Right. So you can do so many things with the fire. And this is one thing that Francis Malman always talks about. He's like you know, fire is so organic in nature. Like you can do so many things with it. And it, like, that's why I really love about it. And actually this weekend I was out camping and I buried some beef ribs underground. Wow. Mind you, it was my first time doing it and they didn't really turn out because they didn't cook enough. Right. But I'm definitely going to try it again. So I dug a big hole, like emptied a bunch of coals into it, buried my meat, my potatoes, bunch more coals. And then, literally encased it in the earth for like 12 hours went and dug it up the potatoes were done but the meat wasn't quite done so i'll have to give that one another go there's a lot of trial and error in food oh yeah oh yeah like i smoke i i smoke a bunch of my meats like not smoke as in smoke cigarettes but i smoke (laughs) my meat yeah i got a smoker and i enjoy doing that stuff i just i love the process of it i guess is Mm -hmm. you know most people are just like cook to fuel their bodies or they want to just cook to you know eat or just get it done as fast as possible like my wife she, you know she's got the pizza pot thing freaking cooks a right <laughs> about 35 seconds you know it's like yeah. ridiculous i'm the type of guy that will go like wake up at one in the morning to get my brisket in my smoker nice. that we're gonna eat at eight o'clock the next night you know yeah if i wake up at one in the morning for food i'm going to 7-eleven <laughs> Like it's yeah, I'm one of the people that just doesn't have time to. Well, I do have time now, but yeah, like when I'm working, I get home and it's the quickest way to cook something possible because I need to eat and go to bed. And yeah, see, you're that it's way. Just flavor, like, it's uh, flavorless. Let's see how long this takes. Yeah. So football did give you the the opportunity to travel across country, uh, and I'm assuming like when you get to you know places like Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, and stuff like that that you have your favorite spots to go out for supper uh, as a team or even just by yourself. What are some of your favorite spots around, like, all throughout Canada that you've, you've been to? Um, well, Montreal, I, I tell people this all the time. Montreal, you can find a restaurant every single night. Yeah. And every single night, it'll be better than the night before. Because there's just, like, I think Montreal comes in around second or third as, like, the most restaurants per capita. Wow! And when you start walking around downtown and like up St. Denis and St. Laurent and stuff, and there's literally restaurants stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. you're like, holy crap, you know, there's a lot to try. But there was a couple spots, like there's one pizza spot I found I really liked, but there was this place called 
Pierre Deschamps and this guy, the chef, Martin, I, I probably couldn't even pronounce his last name even if I knew what it was, but he was actually friends with uh, Anthony Bourdain. Wow. And uh, we, we had an opportunity to go eat there a few times because John Bowman got to know them over his years there, and they would kind of do a big D-line dinner for us every year. And, man, the stuff they would pump out. Like I'm talking about, they bring a whole pig's head covered in gold dust with bison tongue <laughs> hanging out of its mouth. And, like, oh, wow. They would bring a whole Parmesan wheel to the table and scrape it off while they're making the risotto in it. Jeez. And, just like beef ribs bigger than the table, steaks bigger than the table. <laughs> they had a they had a dish called duck in a can, and every morning they would like pack these cans with with duck. Like they would actually can the duck, sous vide it all day, and then when you order it, they would literally bring it to the table, use the can opener, open the can, and just plop it right on your table. Wow! But it was just above and beyond, you know. And yeah. the fact that we had an opportunity to eat there, because like as a regular person now, if I tried to make a reservation, I'd probably be waiting a couple months, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one of my funnest. That was one of my go tos in Montreal. Like, but you know, I'm talking like maybe once or twice a year is that type of pl- place, you know, mm-hmm. really gluttonous, like. You felt like crap probably for like two days after because <laughs> of all the full gras that you ate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Montreal had a lot of all-you-can-eat sushi places, and we'd have to rotate every time because if you went back to the same place too often, they would literally get mad and stop serving you because we'd be rolling like 8D lime and deep. No kidding! Like bucks. <laughs> And the first thing I would do is order 50 pieces of salmon sashimi, you know? <laughs> the guy's <laughs> crying. When we roll through. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was so many good spots in Montreal, then Ottawa. There was one place I fell in love with. It was called Whale's Bone. And it was kind of like a seafood oyster shack, but, like, they had the big hunks of meat, too, you know? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. they'd have the big tomahawks and... And then the owner, we got to know the owner real well, and he just, he'd come over with a bottle, and he'd have the big piece of bone marrow, you'd eat the bone marrow, then he'd make you do a shot out of the bone marrow, like he'd just be pouring wow. the whiskey down the bone, and we had good times there, and the, my last year here, for half the year, I moved into a hotel that was literally, um, you know, not even a block away, so I was there about once a week, they did the Sunday's buck of shock, so I'd go in there and muck, like, <laughs> 50 oysters. So. <laughs> Man, was, uh, that's cool. It was fun. And as a football player, you know, I'm not worried about my weight because yeah. I need to keep the weight. So it's just like, how much food can I eat? How much beer can I drink after a game? I didn't care, you know, because you're losing so much. You know, you're burning so yeah. many calories every day. You're in the gym, then you're on the field. And you have mm-hmm. to maintain that weight. So it's just like, we could eat whatever we want. The, you know, the world was our oyster, you could say. We could eat anything, which was uh, just good times. But you, I can't you mentioned how much beer you now. could drink, and yeah. yeah now I'm in. in. Now I'm in. There you are. Okay, we're, well, let's go, man. <laughs> men's league or something. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't know if I could keep up with somebody who's 6'5". Oh, yeah. Being five eight, but I can I can pack them away, as evidenced at Spirit of Edmonton. Yeah, now you get to have a a lot of fun at the Grey Cup if you ever go again. Yeah, I don't know. People ask me all that time. I say I, I don't think I have a desire to ever go to another CFL football game. Wow, I don't wow. know. 
it's, I'm sure I will, and I'm sure, you know, if and when I have kids that, you know, that'd be a fun thing to do. I literally live within spinning distance of McMahon Stadium. Right. Another reason, it would have been nice to freaking, you know, play for him. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, on my back deck, so the Great Cup was in Calgary this year. I was obviously back in Calgary for the Great Cup. Mm-hmm. And I threw a huge Grey Cup party, but it was, I called it a mullet cutting party because I ended up <laughs> kind of raising some funds to cut my mullet. Yeah. I had about 50 people over, and the Jets flew right over my house. And you could hear every word the announcer said from my back deck. So we we're all sitting around the fire watching on TV, but listening to it live. So it was cool. Final question. I'm always curious to ask uh, people who, you know, cook for a living and. Uh, pride themselves in fresh ingredients. Do you have any like guilty pleasures? Like, are you still rocking some KD and hot dogs once in a while? Um, no, we pretty good at home. But when I go out, maybe get a couple, you know, wobbly pops into me. I don't think like I really realize what I'm putting into my body and like whatever's <laughs> at the table. You know, you go to a party or a buffet or something, and there's just like food i was like i'll just eat anything but as far as like eating at home i don't think i really have um you know bad eating habits necessarily but when i go out i will try everything like we'll go to the we'll go to a restaurant me and my wife and i'll we'll order like five or six dishes i just want to try it all you know i'm one of those guys i just want to you know what is this what is that like let's try it like you know, I tried sea urchin. I don't know why I would have ever ordered that. I'll never do it again. But I it looks weird. Because, <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things that you have to say you did it. You know, I'm right. that kind of guy. I'm the FOMO guy. I'm yeah. the FOMO food guy. Like, right. what is that? That looks weird. Let me try it. That's but, that's uh, so. Cool. We are complete opposites when it comes to that. <laughs> you're like you're the guy that like finds something he likes. And then and that's you it. stick with it, and you're like, no matter what, you're like, no, we're going here. No, I'm eating this. I'm yeah. eating this out there. See, I yeah, don't it's like, like it. you want to try this? No, I don't like it. Yeah, well, he, how do you know if you've never had it? He's straight. I up, just know I won't like it. His, his chicken nuggets and barbecue sauce. That's it. Oh. <laughs> well, you obviously tried that for the first time. So this is my <laughs> argument: <laughs> is you obviously tried that for the first time at some point. So how do you mm-hmm. know that that's the best thing for you? Or the best thing that you like because you haven't tried anything else. Because well, my wife is kind of like that. She's like, no, I won't try it. I, I, I know I won't like it or whatever. I'm like, you don't even know. Just try it. <laughs> like I had a butter tart for the first time on Christmas Eve. Come was on. it good? It was. I can't believe I waited 31 and a half years to eat one. She's wasting time. <laughs> I'm saying you're wasting time. How much yep. other good stuff has gone, you know, just passed you by? Yep. I know, I know. Tried. That's a good saying right there. See, I, I like it. Anytime Ty gets crapped on, I am a fan. So <laughs> we'll leave it on that. <laughs> Are you, you guys uh, miss being in the same room or what? Uh, you know what? We've we, only ever done it twice. I think the only time we we went to school together, like since uh, seventh or eighth grade. Um, but we live apart anyway. Uh, so the only shows we've done together, we did a live show in, uh, Edmonton at the Grey Cup and Calgary at the Grey Cup. So, uh, we're usually apart anyway. It, it kind of works out for us. Nice. Nice. Um, and then I don't, I don't have to hear him snore if he's <laughs> 600 kilometers away. <laughs> are, are you at streets open for dine in yet? 
Yeah, yeah. We are at, uh, well, I mean, they technically open at full capacity, but that's impossible to do whilst maintaining the six feet rule. Right. So we're technically mm-hmm. still at 50%. But, I mean, my shop downtown is so small. Even at full capacity, we'd only have, you know, 30 people in there anyways. So now we're, like, kind of down to, like, 12. I think we got seats for 12 people. That's it. But but we still tend to pack, like, the three tables we have. You know, we got the cheapest beers in town. That's kind of one thing I brag about all the time. We do $4 pints. Nice. It's not garbage either, like AGD or, like, some yeah. garbage someone's about Correct. to fill down. Like, we bring in real local breweries and stuff, and we're just like, you know what? We know our food is good. Come try our food, but like enjoy a beer or like come for the beer and we know you're going to try our food. So that's kind of our reasoning. We're kind of opposite of what most bars and restaurants do. do. Like they're like, mm-hmm. come for the food and we'll sell you a couple of expensive beers. We're like, okay, we'll give the beer away because if that's what gets people in to try our food, then it's a bonus, right? Yeah. We actually opened a store in Winnipeg recently. Oh, wow. All the way there. Okay. And we have a store out in Canada, which is just east west of Ottawa, sorry. Okay, awesome. And then we have one in Lethbridge and then four in the Vancouver area. So yeah, we're oh, you are all over stores the place. right now. Awesome. My goal is a hundred stores in the next ten years. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I guess I, I should say streets.ca. You can do the whole online ordering thing and everything, right? Oh yeah. And we're about to have our own delivery. Nice. We have our own app that you can pay online and just pick up, just put the time in, pick it up. So, what's your what's your delivery radius radius like? <laughs> Listen, it's not that far, but uh, um, maybe if I'm ever driving through, I'll bring you a couple of cold fish tacos. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, Mike, thanks so much time for spending 45 minutes with us. Uh, Two goofballs here. We really appreciate it. It was lots of fun. Uh, thanks for taking the time. No worries. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything and stay safe. Thanks again to Michael Clausen for joining the show. Fun guy to talk to. Honest guy. I, I, I especially mm-hmm. like the part when he's uh, making fun of you. <laughs> That's what it was all weekend for me. That's what it is every time we talk. I just, I just accepted the fact I'm, I'm at the bottom of the pole and it, it all runs downhill. Man, you've got a thick skin, I think. Or well, well, I used to until I burnt two layers off. Or do you secretly need a hug, buddy? Always. It's no secret, Travis. Come on. Well. Everybody needs a hug from I me. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a dad. I didn't get enough hugs. Oh, no. <laughs> Just after Father's Day, too. Oh, to, man. Had to work. To, oh, I got, I got some jokes thrown my way yesterday, so I had to dish some out. <laughs> we'll be back talking to you in two weeks. Hopefully, we have some clarity. Will we? I don't know. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, we're a part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And this episode of Two and Out brought to you by World on Fire, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. World on Fire is a new five-part series that takes you to the front lines of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia, and California. Recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, hosts Adrian Lamb and Mike Flanagan look at what it takes 
takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction and how communities affected by wildfires rebuild. The series examines the high cost that wildfires cause to people's health, homes, and communities. Find World on Fire on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it online at cbc.ca slash world on fire that does it for us us this week we'll talk to you in two weeks ty don't forget your sunscreen bud never i haven't worn it in like six years i'm not gonna start now (laughs) you're gonna be a sweet well done by the time i talk to you in two weeks (laughs) Uh, no i'm just gonna hide out in the house now it's gonna be really hard to get a sunburn when i nap (laughs) have a good one we'll talk soon thanks for listening Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.